Welcome to the ninth episode of the podcast of Lifeliner, The Judy Taylor Story. I am the author, Shireen Chichiboy. Chapter 9, The Langer Line. For the upteenth time, the GI resident replaces Judy's plastic catheter. The residents have long since learnt to put in the plastic catheters and have taken over from the respirologist. But it's a job they'd rather not do so frequently. The alimentation is working well. Judy's reviving. It's time for her to receive a permanent catheter, one that is reliable and non-reactive, one that will last for years, won't fall out on a sneeze, and won't block easily. Langer thinks he knows what to use. He'd heard about the catheters that the neurosurgeons were using to treat hydrocephalus. They developed tiny, silastic tubes that could be put into the brain, into the ventricles that contained cerebrospinal fluid, and then tunneled down under the skin and either put inside the abdomen to drain the excess fluid there, or put into a vein in the neck. The tubes can stay in the venous system for a long time. That's a fair distance to travel inside the body to shunt fluid from one end to the other, he thinks. If these silicone rubber catheters weren't inert and easy to fix into place, then there would be a bit of a problem brewing inside these patients. This kind of catheter is just what Judy needs. When Cheech tells Langer that the time is right to put a permanent catheter in, Langer heads down to the neurosurgery OR and retrieves a length of sterile catheter. He isn't sure of the exact length needed, but he knows from principle roughly how long it needs to be. It's November 23rd, the day of Jeej's ninth anniversary, when he and his team prepare Judy for catheter emplacement. First, they x-ray her chest. All is fine. On the following day, Jeej and Johnston attempt to insert Langer's silastic line into Judy's subclavian vein under a local anesthetic in her room. But they're unsuccessful. They call the porter to transport Judy to the OR so that they can try again under sterile conditions and greater anesthesia. In the OR, Langer takes over from Jeej. He and Johnson attempt bilateral cephalic vein cutdowns, but they run into a small problem. Judy's cephalic vein is barely there. This attempt is also unsuccessful. The surgeons are disappointed. Judy wonders about her future as the porter wheels her back to her room minus the permanent catheter that she'd expected. Later, Cheech explains to her the challenge they face and assures her that he and Langer are not going to give up. He leaves to discuss this problem with Langer once again. They can't put in a permanent catheter without a vein strong enough to take it. And while they are on the subject, they talk again about how Judy will use it once she gets back home. They can't believe that they're actually discussing the daring possibility of managing her home. This is virgin territory. They have no one else's experience to go on or to learn from. They finally decide on the fascial vein as the point of entry into the jugular vein, which connects to the subclavian vein, the main entryway into the heart. The resident lets Judy know they're going to try again the next day. November 25th dawns dreary. Rain distorts Judy's window, but fails to prevent her good friend Kathy Kelly from visiting her. Kathy's son had driven her down the previous day from her farm near Bob Cajun, and Judy is thrilled to see her. Judy had resisted visits from her friends and neighbors at first, but now she thrives on seeing and talking with them. Kathy's visit breaks up the monotony of hospital life and distracts her from the wait, which in the end is not that long. 
The surgeons arrive. It's time for another attempt to put it in her permanent line. As she is wheeled out, Judy waves and smiles at her friend, hiding her fear of protecting Kathy from worry. Back in the OR, a room becoming all too familiar to Judy, the surgeons go into her mouth to incise her fascial vein. The fascial vein empties into the jugular and, given their current technology, it's safer to insert the silastic catheter into the fascial vein rather than directly into the jugular. They thread it into the jugular and then the subclavian and down toward the heart. They stop when the tip reaches the atrium. Near this part of the heart, there's a huge amount of blood flow. With blood swishing by at such high volume and pressure, the chances of the line clotting on the end are much less. They wait while a radiologist x-rays the chest to confirm the tip is right where it should be. One step done, now where to have the other end pop out. It cannot come out of her neck. It would be impossible for her to see and hook herself up to the alimentation. Instead, they tunnel it under her skin and bring it out the anterior chest wall. And there, Langer decides to glue a small piece of Teflon to the catheter and then stitch the Teflon to the skin. The stitches will prevent it from migrating into her heart or disappearing underneath her skin. And gluing Teflon to the catheter allows the surgeons to anchor the catheter without having to tie stitches around it. Stitches could weaken or even penetrate the catheter itself over time. The newly dubbed Langer line is finally in place. Since they have her under anesthesia, and since her wound has healed so nicely, they also removed the wire sutures in her abdomen. She's sent to recovery, and later to her room. As she stares out the window at the rain, feeling the soreness of where her brand new line was put in, she hopes Kathy can visit her again. She does. The rainy, foggy weather continues into the next day. The dampness magnifies Judy's grogginess and post-operative soreness, but she perks up when she sees her friend walk through the door. Kathy shakes errant raindrops from her coat as she takes it off and drapes it over a chair. Judy doesn't notice the appalled look on her face as she gazes down on Judy before pulling a chair closer to the bedside and sitting down. Judy shifts her head so that she can see her friend better and ask how her trip went. Kathy inhales and exhales out her worry and responds to Judy's smile. Their cheerful chatter soon distracts Judy from her body and raises her spirits. The resident peeks in, sees Judy looking more relaxed, and cancels the stat Valium he'd ordered just a few minutes earlier. You have been listening to Lifeliner, the Judy Taylor story, a biography on a Canadian medical pioneer who made artificial feeding possible, podcast by the author Shireen Gigiboy, one chapter at a time. Music used for this podcast is I Like It Like That by Steph Sachs and The King Is Back by Echoed, licensed under Creative Commons. They can be found at dig.ccmixter.org under Instrumental Music for Film and Video. I hope you enjoyed this chapter. For more information or to leave a comment, please check out the website at ggboy.ca or the Twitter feed at Shireen J. So until next time, thank you for listening to Lifeliner. I'm Shireen Gigi Boy. <laughs>